the tenth day is over. <laughs> and tomorrow morning by 7.30 or 8, we will come to the conclusion of this ten-day Dhamma seminar. So this evening, let us review what you practice. During these ten days, what you have practiced. So that any aspect of the technique, if it is not clear, it will become clear. If it is clear, it will become clearer. So let us review what you did. Of course, the technique is very deep. In ten days, you have taken just a few steps on the path, and the path is very long path. We won't discuss the deeper aspects of the technique, because according to the tradition, the theory and the practice should go together. As much as you practice, that much theory you must understand. As much theory you understand, that much you practice. So whatever you practice for ten days, let us review what you did. Coming to the course, first thing that you did was that you took refuge in triple gem. Triple gem, that means gem in Buddha, gem in Dhamma, gem in Sangha. And gem means very valuable qualities. The quality of Buddha, not in the person of Buddha, quality of Buddha, quality of Dhamma, quality of Sangha. This tradition of taking refuge in triple gem has unfortunately turned into converting people from one organized religion to another organized religion. Buddha was not interested in this. Anybody who becomes really liberated, really enlightened, has nothing to do with these conversions. What will anybody get by converting, converting people from one religion to another religion? Say, if all of this country or the whole of the world start calling themselves Buddhist, and they don't practice Shila, Samadhi, or Panya, what will they gain by this name? People don't call themselves Buddhist, and they practice Shila, Samadhi, and Panya, their life will become better, they will live a happier life, more harmonious life, good for them, good for others, the life will be worth living. So Dhamma is to live a proper life. It has nothing to do with those organized religions. Quality of Buddha, quality of Dhamma, quality of Sangha. And out of all these three, Dhamma is of utmost importance. Therefore, he kept on saying, you have to take refuge in Dhamma, Dhamma Saranam. You have to make an island of Dhamma for refuge, Dhamma Deepa. And what Dhamma? Not the Dhamma which is in the, in the scriptures, no. Not the Dhamma that you hear from your teacher or you hear from Buddha, enlightened person. Not that Dhamma. The Dhamma that you practice yourself, <coughs> that is Dhamma for you. And this gives you all the protection, all the refuge. So he kept on saying, Atta Saranam, take refuge in yourself. Atta Deepa, make an island of yourself. Develop Dhamma within yourself, and this Dhamma which you have developed within yourself will be your real refuge, none else. He was not interested in establishing a sect, but unfortunately in his name, 
not one but many sects got established and the purity of Dhamma got lost. Dhamma remains pure only when it remains universal. The moment it becomes sectarian, it loses its essence. An enlightened person is not interested in sectarianism. Universal law of nature, this is what he discovers and this is what he explains to people and this is what he advises people how to apply it in life. <coughs> that is Dhamma. Not uh, rites, rituals or ceremonies of this particular religion or that particular religion. A philosophical belief of this particular religion or that particular religion. Nothing doing. This is law, universal law, law of nature, which is applicable to one and all. One may keep on calling oneself a Buddhist or a Christian or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Jew. Makes no difference. The law of nature is law of nature. When you break the law of nature, you are punished, then and there. If you live in line with the law of nature, you are rewarded, then and there. You live a very happy life. And this applies to everyone. This is what a Buddha discovers. The law is there, Buddha or no Buddha. Even before Buddha, this law was there. Somebody breaks the law, somebody generates anger, hatred, ill will, animosity, passion, fear, ego, defies the mind. Nietzsche starts punishing then and there. This was there in before Buddha. This was there at the time of Buddha. This is there after Buddha. It will continue to be there. And that is why he said, e dhammo sanantano. This is sanatan, that means eternal. This is always there, a Buddha or no Buddha. And one who comes out these defilements, nature starts rewarding. One starts living a liberated life, a happy life, harmonious life, good for oneself, good for others. This was so even before Buddha. This was so at the time of Buddha. This is so even after Buddha, makes no difference. A Buddha discovers this law and applies it in his own life and becomes liberated. And then out of compassion starts distributing to others, distributing to others. It always remains universal. It has to remain universal. Otherwise, it will lose its efficacy. A Buddha is not interested in sect. Many a times you find him talking to people. He say, I am not interested in making you my disciple. I am not interested. I am not interested in breaking you from your old gurus. I am not interested in that. You have got certain aims of your life. If one has become a recluse, a monk or a nun or even a householder, has some aim of the life to get liberated from the impurities of the mind. I am here to help you in that. I have got a technique which I will teach you and practicing which you can come out of the factors and bondages of these impurities. That's all. I am only interested in that. So very much detached. At the time when he was passing away, <clears throat> he says, I am not depending on the Sangha. I am not depending on these people, the congregation of the monks, the saintly people. I am not, not depending on them. And they are not depending on me. Each individual is depending on oneself, is depending on Dhamma. There is no sectarianism involved. Dhamma is universal and Dhamma is involved. This is what you practiced here. A Buddha is Buddha only when he is fully established in Dhamma. If there is no Dhamma, this person may keep on calling oneself, I am a Buddha, I am a Buddha. Not Buddha, nothing to do with Buddha. A Sangha is Sangha, a saintly person is saintly person if he is established in Dhamma. Otherwise, it is not a Sangha. This has to be remembered very well, that when we take refuge in Triple Gem, we take refuge actually in Dhamma. 
and try to develop Dhamma within ourselves, understanding fully well the Dhamma that I develop within myself, this Dhamma alone can give me all the security, can give me all the refuge, can give me all the protection, will help me. Nothing else can help me. This understanding is there. And with this understanding, one takes refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, the gem in them, the quality in them. But at the same time, one point should be very clear. Anyone who is walking on the path of Dhamma, that means purification of the mind, there are many yardsticks to measure whether this person is really progressing in, on the path of Dhamma or not. One yardstick. Two qualities start developing in this person. Very essential. If these two qualities are not developing, then understand this fellow is only playing some intellectual game or emotional game or devotional game. He has nothing to do with Dhamma. He is not practicing Dhamma. What two qualities? One quality, a feeling to serve others without expecting anything in return. Out of question to expect any kind of material gain. Totally out of question. But even to expect some name or some fame or some position, some power, some status, oh no, then one has not understood Dhamma. Just to give, just to share what one is experienced. One has got so much benefit from Dhamma, one feels like serving others, serving others, distributing it to others. Is this quality coming or not? If this quality is not developing, then there is something wrong. This person is still self-centered. Even he talks of liberation, she talks of liberation, one's own liberation. What I have got to do with others? Then the purification has not started. Still, still ego-centered life, self-centered life. The ego, when it starts dissolving, dissolving, one starts feeling about others. How can I help others? How more and more people can get Dhamma? This is one quality. To serve people in Dhamma without expecting anything in return. Second quality. To develop a feeling of gratitude. Very important. Even if one gets a small little material thing from somebody, a feeling of gratitude should arise to get Dhamma. Although you are not taking refuge in Buddha as a person, but you get Dhamma from Buddha. A Dhamma which gave you the path for liberation, which has benefited you, and you don't have even a trace of a feeling of gratitude towards the person of Buddha, then no, you are not developing. To become Buddha is not easy. Countless life one keeps on developing parmi. These ten parmis which we discussed yesterday, in big quantity, to become fully enlightened in very big quantity. And it takes so many lives. And one keeps on doing that, not just for one's own liberation. That one could have done by developing these very ten parmis in smaller quantity and one could have become fully liberated. But to reach the stage of Samma Sambuddha, fully enlightened, to able to serve others, one has to develop these very ten qualities in big quantity. And for that, life after life, life after life, the feeling of compassion was there always. Even before he became fully enlightened, that compassion was there. I will develop in Dhamma for the good of others. Of course, I will be liberated, no doubt, but also for the good of others. For the good of others. If he had not worked so hard, he would not have become a Samma Sambuddha. And even if he had become Samma Sambuddha, if he had not distributed Dhamma, how could we good have God? You would not have got. If he had decided, well, I became fully liberated now. What's the use of running after these worldly people? They won't understand Dhamma. I better go and live in a cave somewhere in the Himalayas, rest of my life, and enjoy peace, nirvanic peace within myself. Why take all the trouble of running after these people? Then he would not have been Buddha. Compassion. 
for the 45 years after the age of 35 when he became fully enlightened till the ripened age of 80 when he passed away all 45 years day and night serving people serving people and whomever he trained and then he sends those trained people go out distribute dhamma for the good of others bahujana hitaya bahujana sukhaya for the happiness of others for the good of others without expecting anything in return just out of compassion serve people in dhamma serve people in dhamma and like this he started spreading and then from teacher to pupil from teacher to pupil generation to generation how this was maintained in its pristine purity for 25 centuries it is not easy so all those people the teachers the line of teachers who maintained the purity of the technique one feels a feeling of gratitude towards them a feeling of gratitude towards buddha a feeling of gratitude to this line of teachers who maintained it in its pristine purity very difficult people try to get it polluted just to satisfy the disciples a disciple wants it in this way all right just to please the disciple i come from business community so i know very well to satisfy the clients clients are always right the customer is always right customer wants this way all that this way wants this way this way then one is not a dhamma teacher quantity has no meaning quality is important even few people practice but they should practice in the proper way not just to please people to help people bahujana hitaya bahujana sukhaya all this line of teachers how they maintained it in its pristine purity one feels very much grateful to them so this quality of having developed gratefulness towards buddha is there although it is not taking refuge in the person of buddha thinking that he will liberate because i have taken refuge in buddha now i can do whatever i like and buddha will liberate me nothing doing this is not dhamma it's against dhamma you have to liberate yourself buddha only can point out the path he has pointed out he has taught the technique technique is there people have maintained it in its pristine purity one has to work on it develop in dhamma and get liberated but the feeling of gratitude is important that is why this taking refuge in triple gem and the next you took five precepts understand all these five precepts they are parts and parcels of this technique of meditation there are many techniques even 25 centuries back at the time of buddha there were so many techniques of meditation there were so many teachers six of them were very renowned teachers of those days out of those six renowned teachers only one besides buddha used to give importance to sila morality but all the rest just to please their customers you can do whatever you like you are free you are free to break sila if you feel like breaking sila you want to have this sensual pleasure go ahead go do that you want this pleasure go ahead do that this kind of madness was there and yet each one of them announced that i am a buddha i am fully liberated i am fully enlightened how soon people forgot about them in their lifetime of course they became very popular for some time they remained popular people thought it is very easy you can break your sila and do whatever you like and yet you can become liberated wonderful this path is good but ultimately it's a, it's polluted dhamma it can't give you the real benefit of dhamma so even in those days even today there might be teachers who might tell you sila is not important but so far as the purity of dhamma is concerned sila is utmost importance those who keep on breaking sila and think that they will develop in dhamma impossible doesn't matter the progress may be slow but your sila must be perfect must be perfect this foundation 
should not become weak. And this is not because the Buddha says so. It is not because the scripture says so. After all, what the technique is? The technique is to purify the mind at the deepest level, at the root level. And whenever you break any of these five shilas, you have to develop, you have to generate tremendous amount of impurity in your mind. When you kill, you have to develop anger, hatred, negativity, then only you kill. When you steal, you have to develop greed, craving, then only you steal. When you have sexual misconduct, then you have to generate a lot of passion, then only you can have sexual misconduct. Like that, every shila, when you break a shila, you have to generate a lot of impurity in the mind. And here you have come to practice to purify the mind. And you keep on breaking this uh, purity of the mind. You keep on defiling the mind. How can you progress on the path? Without shila, you can't take even the next step of samadhi. Ordinary samadhi, people can get it. But Samma Samadhi, right type of Samadhi, which will take you to Panya, which will take you to liberation, is not possible when one keeps on breaking the Sila. One has to maintain Sila, and to maintain Sila, one must develop the mastery over the mind in a proper way. Now, whether one must first practice to develop the mastery over the mind, or whether one should first practice maintenance of Sila, it has become very difficult to put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse. Very difficult to find solution. Such courses started even at the time of Buddha. Come to a course like this. And because of the environment and because of heavy program from morning 4, 4.30 till night, 9, 9.30, you have no opportunity to break your shila. How will you break shila? You are kept so busy. So you are maintaining your shila at the same time you are practicing samadhi and your samadhi is becoming samma samadhi, right type of samadhi. A samadhi with the base of illusion, delusion, imagination can be practiced without sila. A samadhi with the base of verbalization, visualization, with the base of craving, with the base of aversion can be practiced without sila. But this kind of samadhi, which wants the object, object of reality, reality pertaining to yourself, without craving, without aversion, if you want to develop this samadhi, sila is absolutely essential. So these kinds of Camps, they help you. Sheila for good samadhi. Good samadhi for panya. Samadhi was there. As I said, there were teachers in India at the time of Buddha, even before Buddha, who were teaching Sheila. Sheila was not something new which Buddha started teaching. Similarly, samadhi was there. It was not something new that Buddha started teaching. He himself, before he became Buddha, he went to two other teachers where he learned very deep samadhi, seventh jhana and the eighth jhana, seventh absorption samadhi and the eighth absorption samadhi, which today India and the world has lost totally. He got all that. And yet, it was not the right time. All the impurities of the mind could not be eradicated by that samadhi. So he had to develop work, panya. Now, panya was also there in India, even before Buddha, even at the time of Buddha, and even after Buddha. But the panya was all the time sutamaya panya. You read, you discuss, you talk, or chintanmaya panya, or you just intellectualize it. But bhavanamaya panya was missing. How to apply panya in life, how to live the life of panya, the living panya, that was missing. This was the contribution of Buddha. The samadhi was made very pure, and that became a contribution of Buddha, because the object was free from ignorance, the reality pertaining to yourself, your breath, natural breath as it comes in, as it goes out, 
your sensations, natural sensations pertaining to your own body, your own mind. So you are working with the truth, truth, truth pertaining to yourself. There is no illusion, there is no delusion, there is no craving, there is no aversion. Samadhi becomes right type of Samadhi, Panya becomes right type of Panya. One has to keep in mind that if one really wants to progress on the path, the purity of the technique must be maintained. You come for 10 days just to examine, just to give a trial, a justice, a full justice to the technique. After 10 days, you are your own masters. We find that this is good. Then don't mix up anything with it. Maintain its purity. Now, what is the purity of the technique? When you work for Samadhi, you started working with respiration. There are many techniques to develop Samadhi with the help of respiration. Certain types of uh, practices are to regulate the breath, to control the breath. They have their own advantages. We are not here to condemn other techniques. But so far as this technique is concerned, the natural breath, as it comes in, the entire path, it uses the word yatha bhuta, as it is, not as you would like it to be, as it is. No created reality, no artificial reality, no imposed reality, the natural reality, as it happens from moment to moment, as it manifests itself from moment to moment. You are now observing the breath, natural breath. If it is deep, you just accept the reality, it is deep. If it is shallow, you just accept the reality, it is shallow. Passing through the left nostril, passing through the left nostril, or right nostril, right nostril, both nostril, both nostril. If it is shallow, you don't try to make it deep. If it is deep, don't try to make it shallow. If it is passing through the left, don't try to turn it to the right. If it is right, don't turn it to the left. Just accept the reality as it is, as it is, as it is. Of course, sometimes for a very new student, when the breath is very subtle, one cannot feel whether the breath has come in or gone out. So one is permitted to take a few, just a few slightly hard breathings, conscious breathings, intentional breathings, but that should not remain an object of concentration all the time, just a few, and then come back to natural, normal, soft breathing. If it is shallow, it is shallow. Soft, it is soft. Develop your awareness of the softest breath, the shallowest breath, the finest breath, and that is how you are sharpening your mind. Another important thing, while you are feeling your breath coming in, going out, you have to keep your attention on a small area. The smaller the area, the sharper the mind is bound to become. If you choose a big area of the body somewhere and keep your attention there and try to feel the breath coming in, going out, your attention will get concentrated, but your mind will not become that sharp to feel the subtlest sensation on the body. That is why he chose nasagga, he said, the front part of the nostril. Keep your attention on this area. And from here you keep on observing the breath coming in, going out, coming in, going out. And this helps you that within three days you started feeling some sensation or the other. And this helped you to make your mind so sharp that by the time you were on the fourth day or the fifth day, you started feeling sensations everywhere. So area, very important. You have to start and you keep on working on a smaller area at the entrance of the nostrils. Natural breath, pure breath, bare breath, mere breath, nothing but breath. No verbalization. Understanding fully well that if you start verbalizing any word along with the breath, your concentration will become easier. No imagination, no visualization. Understanding fully well that if you start having vision of a shape or a form of any god or goddess, 
any founder of religion, this religion or that religion, this saintly person, that saintly person, this enlightened person, that enlightened person in whom you have devotion. If you keep on imagining his shape or form, mind will get concentrated, but you will miss Vipassana. In Vipassana, all visualizations are prohibited, verbalizations are prohibited, imaginations are prohibited, natural truth that keeps on manifesting itself. That's all. One reason why we don't allow these words to be used, because most of the time, the words are nothing but the name of this particular God or that particular God, founder of this religion or that religion, and then it remains limited to a particular sect. A God who is very much respected by a particular sect, his or her name will not be recited by somebody else belonging to other sect. And Dhamma has to be universal. Because our melody is universal. When the mind becomes uh, impure, defiled, and one starts experiencing misery because of that, that is not limited to a particular sect or a particular community or particular country or particular gender. It is universal. So the remedy has to be universal. No sectarian remedy can solve the problem. When you have these words, and if these are words belonging to a particular sect, then it can't be universal, universal practice. Or if you have a shape or a form which belongs to this particular god or that particular god, goddess or this religious person or that religious person, again, it gets connected with a particular sect. This is one reason. But there is another subtler reason also. Sometimes a student comes to me. He says, I want to verbalize because by verbalizing it becomes easy for me to get concentrated. I won't use any sectarian word. I won't use the name of this God or that God. When the breath comes in, I will say one. When it goes out, I say two. This is universal. Anybody can say one, two, one, two. Or coming in, going out, coming in, going out. Good. Argument is good. But still, we can't allow that. Why? Because any word, you keep on repeating that word, that word will become predominant for you, will become more important for you. You will forget all about the breath. Mind will get concentrated because of this word. You are repeating this word. Whether the breath is coming in or not, you will say in. Whether it is going out or not, you will say out. Out, in, out, in, out, in. You forget all about the breath. One, two, one, two, you forget all about the breath. Our purpose is not served. Our purpose is not just to concentrate the mind. Our purpose is to understand the reality pertaining to your own structure of mind and matter. How interaction is going on and you have to reach the stage where you start feeling the sensations. You keep on repeating one, two, one, two, in, out, in, out, mind gets concentrated. But you can't feel the sensations. You can't understand what is happening within you. And you miss something very important. You miss Vipassana. Therefore, no verbalization. Another difficulty with verbalization is that every word that you repeat, and as you keep on repeating it again and again, every word has its own vibration. And then masters of uh, mantra, they found out that certain words have very strong vibrations, like you strike a gong, and very strong vibration comes. Words like Om, Aing, Ring, Kling, Bija Mantras, they said. These words, if you keep on repeating, keep on repeating, they generate very strong vibration in you. You get concentrated very easily. Your entire being gets engulfed in that particular vibration. But understand, this is a created vibration. This is an artificial vibration. You are missing the natural vibration. And Vipassana wants you to experience the natural vibration. These created vibrations are good. Good to the extent that they won't allow any bad vibrations. They work like a shield for you. But they are very harmful also because they become a big barrier. They won't allow you to feel your own vibrations at the depth of your mind. What happens when you generate anger? 
what happens when you generate passion, when you generate fear, when you generate ego, that is much more important for you because you have to come out of that impurity. And if you keep on repeating and you generate a particular vibration, which is artificial, created vibration, and you imposed it, then you have missed the reality at a deeper level. Therefore, no verbalization, no verbalization. Similarly, no visualization. The whole technique will take you from the apparent truth, apparent solidified, intensified truth, say this body, solidified body, and you keep on working in Vipassana, working in Vipassana, it turns into mass of vibrations, mass of atoms. This is the ultimate truth of the solidified body. And you now start an imaginary image, a solidified image. And then, unless you have broken it, dissolved it to vibration, your purpose is not served. So why create something and then dissolve it, create something and already you have got so much the solidity and to dissolve it is so difficult. Therefore, no imagination, no visualization is recommended. Just the sensation that you experience from moment to moment, yatha bhuta, as it happens, not yatha katha, not yatha krita, not created by you, but natural vibration, natural sensation that you experience. This takes you to panya. Then the whole body you start experiencing. And you are to observe the sensation, understand its nature, the nature of arising, passing, arising, passing. If you don't understand this nature of every vibration arising and passing, then there is every danger that the sensation will result either in craving or in aversion. And this keeps on happening throughout the life, life after life, sensations are always there. And the depth of your mind, the so-called unconscious mind, keeps on feeling these sensations all the time. It is either pleasant or unpleasant. When it is pleasant, this part of the mind keeps on reacting with craving, craving, craving. When it is unpleasant, this part of the mind keeps on reacting with aversion, aversion, aversion. This part of the mind, which is the root of the mind, has become a prisoner of its own habit pattern. All the time, day and night, either craving or hating, craving or hating, craving or hating, and that keeps on coming on the surface also. The mind at the surface also is influenced by the root. And you try to rectify your mind at the surface level. You may be successful for some time, but if the root is unhealthy, your entire mass of the mind will remain unhealthy. This was the discovery of Buddha. There were many teachers before Buddha, at the time of Buddha and after Buddha. India is a very ancient land and highly spiritual land where many experiments are done for the purification of mind, for the liberation of beings. But we find all the teachers before Buddha, contemporary to Buddha and after Buddha, they all speak in the same language, you must come out of craving, you must come out of aversion, you must come out of ignorance, then only you will be liberated. Now craving, what craving? Aversion, what aversion? These six sense doors and their respective objects, you have to be free from craving towards any object, some shape or form or color or light, is the object of your eyes. You like it, you develop craving. You dislike it, you develop aversion. A sound is the object of your ear. A sound, you like it, craving. You dislike it, aversion. Like this, the smell for the nose, taste for the tongue, touch for the body, and any thought or emotion for the mind. These six objects, every spiritual teacher has said, don't get indulged in these sensual objects. Otherwise, you can never get liberated. Come out of this. Buddha also said the same thing. But Buddha went, went one step deeper, which nobody else could do. He found out, because he worked not with any kind of belief or philosophy of the past, all the beliefs he left aside, 
without condemning them, he left them aside. Like a scientist, he started investigating the truth pertaining to the mind, pertaining to the matter, where the misery really starts, and observing the truth, observing the truth, he reached the stage, Sankhitena Pancha Upadan Khanda Dukkha. Sankhitena, at a very deep level. And in short, he could find out these five khandas, five aggregates, the aggregate of matter, the entire physical structure, mass of kalapas, arising, passing, arising, passing, and four aggregates of mind, the cognizing part, the recognizing part, the feeling part, the reacting part, all these five joined together. They give a ignorant feeling, I, I, I am this physical structure. I am cognizing, this is my cognition. I am recognizing, this is my recognition. I am feeling, this is my feeling. I am reacting, this is my reaction. This I, mine, this is upadana. Tremendous amount of attachment to these five aggregates. And because of this tremendous amount of attachment, these five aggregates keep on arising, multiplying, multiplying. The sankharas keep on multiplying. Your misery keeps on multiplying. He could understand that at the experiential level. This is where the trouble starts. So he examined the entire structure of mind and matter at that level, where all these five, he could see separately how they are working. And Vipassana takes you to that stage. If you start playing games with any kind of uh, special sensation, this or that, then you will forget dividing it, dissecting it, understanding its nature, how the mind and matter get interaction, how they are influencing one, one another, how they get influenced by the one another. All that will become unimportant for you. And you will be just elated when you get a pleasant sensation, and you will get very much depressed when you have unpleasant sensation. He took us to Vedana, to the sensation, not to play the games of sensation. The aim was to come out of these sensual objects and not to generate craving and aversion, which was the teaching of all the spiritual leaders. But they were working only at that level, at the surface level, at the apparent level. Don't get indulged in this sensual object or that sensual object. Buddha went deeper. He says, our craving and our, our aversion does not arise to these external objects. The external object and your craving and your aversion, there is something missing in between. And that missing link is the sensation on the body. Any object, when it comes in contact, phasapachaya vedana, it comes in contact and there is a sensation. And one part of the mind well gives evaluation, very good, very bad. It becomes pleasant, it becomes unpleasant. Then only... Vedana Pachaya Tanha, then only the craving or aversion starts, not before that. And if this particular link is missing, then you keep on working at the surface level. It is good you come out of craving and aversion at the surface level of your mind. The intellect part of your mind becomes purified, nothing wrong. But then you miss the depth of your mind. He took people to go to the depth of the mind and work with the sensation. That is why those who want to practice Vipassana as Buddha taught us, those who want to practice in the same way as Vipassana wants us to practice, they cannot forget the Vedana, the sensation on the body. If you forget sensation on the body and you are aware of everything else outside, it is good. It is good just to keep your mind concentrated, to keep the purity of your mind at the surface level, but you will miss the root level of your mind. With sensation, you are purifying your mind at the root level. So keep that in mind. Whenever you practice Vipassana, the sensation plays such an important part. The sensation, whether pleasant or unpleasant, you keep on understanding its nature. And with practice and with experience, however unpleasant a sensation may be, sooner or later you understand, well, look, it arose, and after some time it passed away. It is not eternal. And when it turns into 
very subtle vibration, then also this wavelet arising, passing, arising, passing. Oh, this is impermanent. This is the nature of every sensation, because this is the nature of the entire physical structure. This is the nature of the entire mental structure. And a sensation is nothing but a product of the contact of these two. So when that arises as the object of the sensation, the mind and the body, they keep arising and passing away. So the sensation arises, passes away. And you are experiencing it. You are not playing an intellectual game. You are not just accepting it because Buddha said so. And as you keep on experiencing it, experiencing it becomes bhavana maya panya. You are living now. You are experiencing it. It is not just sutta maya panya. It is not just a theory for you. We, at the practical level, you are understanding and you started changing the habit pattern of your mind at the depth level. If this is understood and kept in mind, not that all the time you will be so perfect that whenever sensation comes, you won't react at all, that's a very high stage. But ultimately, one has to reach that stage. The aim should be very clear. Any sensation, I will not react with craving or with aversion. Even if I have reacted, I will come to senses as quickly as possible. Very pleasant sensation came and you started reacting. Ha, ah, wonderful, this is very good, I got a flow. Now I got a flow. Immediately, you must come to senses. Oh, after all, this is impermanent. What craving about it? What cra and suddenly it changes into very unpleasant sensation and you react with aversion. How quickly you come back to the wisdom. Oh, no, this also is impermanent. No aversion, no aversion. Like this, you learn yourself to get established in this anicca, the wisdom of anicca, and you are progressing. You are progressing. These are the basic fundamental principles of Vipassana. If you don't miss them, certainly the results, the whole technique is result-oriented. Not that you will get benefit after death. After death, certainly benefits will come, there is no doubt. Because there is a flow coming from the past and moving towards the future, taking us to the final goal where the flow stops. But meanwhile, when the flow is there, benefits, benefits continue to be benefits provided you practice in a proper way. This benefit must come here and now in this very life. If it is not coming, there is something wrong. If there is no change for better in your life, then there is something wrong. Something wrong means you are not practicing properly. The technique is helpful. It has been helpful last 25 centuries to so many people. It is helping now. So there is no doubt about the technique. But the way in which one is practicing something may be wrong. So contact your teacher, your assistant teacher, your guide and try to understand what is wrong, why I am not getting any benefit from it, why my anger has not diminished, my passion has not diminished, my ego has not diminished, my impurities are not diminishing, and there is something wrong somewhere. Keep on examining yourself. Don't expect magic or miracle that having one 10-day course, now you are free from craving, free from aversion. It doesn't happen. If it happens, I congratulate, very good. But uh, it takes time. It's a long path, quite a long path. If you understand how you have to walk on the path and if you are walking in the right direction, in the right way, the results, good results are bound to come, bound to come. I feel myself very fortunate, very fortunate that I came in contact with Dhamma, this path. Very fortunate that I was born in Burma, the land of Dhamma. India lost this technique. After Buddha, for about five centuries, this technique helped the people of India so much. But then slowly, some vested interest, because of some ignorance, people started polluting the technique. Try to mix this, try to mix that. And when you start mixing up the technique, you make it polluted, then it loses its efficacy. You don't get the result which you should get. And when people don't get the result, they stop practicing. So like that, India lost this technique. 
It went to different countries and there also it got lost. But one neighboring country, Burma, fortunately maintained the technique in its pristine purity. Although with few people, not that every generation, all the masses of the population were practicing it. No. From teacher to pupil, from teacher to pupil, they took it their responsibility that we got it from India, we got it from Buddha, and we have to maintain in its pristine purity because after 2,500 years, again it has to spread. This was the belief going on there. So they kept it in its pristine purity for their benefit and for the future generations. I feel myself very fortunate that I was born there and came in contact with this technique. 300 years after Buddha, during the time of Buddha and during 300 years after Buddha, this technique spread in northern parts of India. Then after 300 years, there came an emperor, a king, an emperor by the name of Ashoka and a very cruel person, very ambitious person, wanted more and more of his empire to spread his empire. He don't mind killing people, maiming people, harming people, just out of this greed to have bigger empire. And he was feeling very proud to call himself Chand Ashoka, Ashoka the Cruel. He was very happy to say that. People getting frightened by his name. How this person, because of some good paramis of the past, he came in contact with Dhamma and he got totally changed. By practicing Dhamma, he realized harming people and getting more and more wealth and more and more power, how is that going to help me? I'm harming myself, I'm harming so many people. He became totally changed. And then people started calling him Dhamma Ashoka. One who was Chanda Ashoka, Ashoka the cruel, now become Dhamma Ashoka, Ashoka the master of Dhamma, who was now developed in Dhamma, full of love, full of compassion. He started serving people because once one tastes Dhamma, one cannot resist. One feels like giving it to others, more and more people. All this population, the people, my subject, they are like my own children. As I want my children to develop in Dhamma and come out of their misery, I like the entire population of my country to take Dhamma and come out of their misery. He started spreading with all the love, with all the compassion, giving a good example as to how he has changed, others should also change. And not only northern India, nearly whole of India started practicing. He trained teachers, large number of teachers, who went around every part of India and started teaching it. And then he thought, why only India? Misery is there around the world everywhere, so why not to the other countries? And he sent to different countries, from in the West up to Europe and the whole of Asia. Uh, he, he sent his, uh, he called Dhamma Dhuta, ambassadors of Dhamma, to teach, teach Dhamma, to teach Vipassana. Fortunately, two of them, who were Arhans fully liberated, they were sent to Burma by the name of Sona and Uttara. And these people took the words of Buddha and the technique, both. And since then, from generation to generation, from generation to generation, this wonderful Dhamma was maintained in its pristine purity. The words of Buddha were also maintained and also the technique was maintained in the pristine purity. It went to different other countries also, like Lanka, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, etc. There also the words was maintained, but the technique got lost. But in Burma, they maintained the technique also. I am very fortunate that I was born in this land, land of Dhamma, where Dhamma is still there. And again, I feel myself very fortunate that uh, I was born in a business family. Fortunate because if I had been not born in a business family, in a rich family, and if I had not earned a lot of money, then perhaps some part of the mind would have been thinking, these rich people, 
they live a happy life and I am missing it. These rich people, now because I have passed through that game and I know how miserable these people are. <laughs> how miserable. This rat race of only making money, making money, nothing but money, money, money makes them so miserable. I pass through that misery. I am fortunate that I passed through that misery. At a very young age, started this rat race of earning money, 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 and earn a lot of money from the Burmese standard. I was a, quite a rich man, quite a, uh, successful in business and industry. And when somebody earns money, he gets a special position in the society. They make him treasurer or president or secretary of this religious organization, their social welfare organization, about a score of different organizations, president, secretary, president, secretary, director, trustee, another madness. It goes to the head. The ego gets inflated. Look, I'm such an important person. And all that in a very young age, uh, mid-twenties or so. And that made so madness. And this created so much tension inside. Again, I feel very fortunate that I passed through all that difficulties. I developed a kind of uh, very severe headache, migraine headache, a special kind of migraine headache. And there was no treatment. The best doctors in Burma, they tried to treat me, different kind of medicines, nothing could help. They started giving me morphine injection. Every fortnight there will be very severe attack and they have no treatment, they give morphine injection. It went on for about four or five years. Then these very doctors, good doctors, they started saying me that slowly you will become morphia addict. Now you take morphia for the sake of migraine and later on you will have to take morphia for the sake of morphia. Every day you will have to take morphia. What kind of life will be if one has to take morphia every day? So they said, you keep running to foreign countries for your business, forget business. One trip you go only to come out of morphia. We know no doctors have got treatment for this migraine, special kind of migraine that you are suffering. But certainly they will have some other painkiller. So why not try? Accepting their advice, I went out, stayed a long time in Switzerland, in Germany, in England, in America, and in Japan where I had my own office, so still longer time. And the best doctors everywhere spent so much of money, so much of time. Again, I find myself very fortunate. No doctor could treat me. <laughs> the best doctors of the world, they could not treat me. They could not take me out of Murphy even. My grain is far away. Very fortunate. I came back very disappointed, but ultimately it proved very fortunate. A friend of mine, who later on became justice of the Supreme Court of Burma, very close friend. He said, Goenka, you have tried everywhere. Why not try 10 days? 10 days with this uh, teacher of Vipassana. Your disease looks like psychosomatic disease. And here is a technique given by Buddha, which will cure purify your mind. And once the mind gets purified, this psychosomatic disease goes away. Why don't try? I said, wonderful. If this can help, I went to my teacher, a very compassionate person, Sayaji Ubakin. And I said, I want to join this uh, one of your 10-day course. He said, welcome. He knew that I am leader of the Hindu community and this is a Buddhist path. He said, doesn't matter. Don't get frightened. Anybody, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, Jain, all can get the same benefit. If you are a Hindu, you remain Hindu. I'm not here to convert you. But you try this. It's a good technique. And then I said that I have come here because of this migraine disease. And then he suddenly said, no, I won't take you. I won't take you. Hey, what happened? <laughs> you are devaluing Dhamma, he says. Dhamma is such a high spiritual path. It is to take you out of all the miseries of life after life. And you want to make use of just for your, your migraine headache. No, no, for that you go to some doctor, go to some hospital. This is not the place. 
and then very, very compassionately he explains me. If you practice this technique, this will purify your mind. The source of your misery is impurity in the mind. When that goes away, all psychosomatic diseases are like byproduct. You will get the benefit. And then he explains me, you want to establish a sugar factory? For what purpose? To get sugar out of that factory, not molasses. Molasses will come as a byproduct. Nobody starts a sugar factory to get molasses. This is just a byproduct. So you don't come here just for your migraine. You come here for high spiritual path. Then only it will help you. I understood because he was so kind and so compassionate. His vibrations were so wonderful. Yes, I will join, sir. And I will join only for spirituality, not for this migraine. <laughs> All right. If it is not cured, not cured, I don't care. But going back home, the conditioning of the mind from the very childhood, born in a very staunch conservative Hindu family, and although we are taught from our childhood to have respect towards Buddha, Buddha is taken as the reincarnation of the God Almighty, the Creator, and he is the latest, latest model of that God, <laughs> ninth reincarnation. So we must have respect for him and all regards for him. But his teaching, oh no, 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 his teaching is not good. Because he does not believe in soul, he does not believe in God. What kind of teaching? Atheist, not good. So this is what the training was of the mind. And that started worrying. If I go to these people and learn this technique, and if I become Buddhist, and if I have no faith in God, if I don't know faith in soul, what will become? I might go to hell. Oh, no, 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 this path is not for me. I better not go. For a few months, it went on. Some struggle went on. Then later on, I thought, my teacher says that you are a Hindu, you remain Hindu. I am not converting you to Buddhism. I make you a good human being. You practice Sheila, morality. You practice mastery of your mind. You practice uh, Panya, purification of mind. That is acceptable with you also. So why not try? All right, I try. But with a strong determination that I will remain Hindu, I won't become a Buddhist, all right. I give a trial for 10 days. And I went there, very fortunate. Of course, like anybody else, the second day, I thought like running away. Because the conditioning of the mind. When I he heard other people saying that when they meditate, they saw this light or that light, and I don't see any light. And my tradition says that if you see divine light, this is the stage of liberation. And look, these people are seeing divine light, and I am not seeing divine light. And then I remember the word of another saintly person. He says, a camel can pass through the eye of a needle, but a rich man cannot pass through the gateway of heaven. And I am a rich man. So this path is for, not for me. All these people, they are teachers, professors, doctors, good people, good-hearted people. They can see all the divine light and all. I can't see. So why waste my time here? I better run away. And I pecked one of the co-meditators professor of history of, of the university there. She was very kind. She found out that I have pegged and I want to run away. So she tells me, just one day, one day more. The first day you started getting so much sensation, people get only on the third day. You get so much and the teacher is so pleased with your performance. Why do you want to run away? And light is unimportant. Don't give importance even if you feel light. Just one day. I feel so grateful to her. She kept me. Otherwise, I would have missed this wonderful path forever. I stayed there. And that evening when I entered my small little cell to meditate, as I sat down, a light came. <laughs> this light, that light. Because the mind was not craving now. I am with my sensation. And suddenly a sound came. And with us, a divine sound. Oh, this is divine sound. This is divine smell. This is divine light. And I said, no, my teacher says, don't give any importance. Only sensation. Only sensation. Very fortunate. I passed through all that.
On the fifth day or sixth day, I was so fascinated by the whole teaching. Because as a, as a leader of the Hindu community, I used to give lectures on Gita, I used to give lectures on Upanishad, on Vedanta. And everywhere the same teaching is there. Come out of craving, come out of aversion, come out of uh, anger, come out of this, come out of that. But how to come out? There's no technique. Mere sermons, sermons, sermons. And here I find this is applied Gita. This is applied Vedanta. Here you get the practice. Wonderful technique which helps me to come out of my craving. I could not come out of my craving, my fear, my ego, my anger. And here is something which gives a practical path how to come out of it. I got so fascinated. And after 10 days I found, yes, some changes started coming in the life. Some changes started coming in the life and I started making use of it. I feel very fortunate. Very fortunate that I was born in a country, country, Burma, which maintains this technique in its pristine purity, although with very few people. And they maintain the words of Buddha in the pristine purity, the technique of Buddha in pristine purity, and came in contact with this saintly person. With so much of compassion, he taught me Dhamma. For 14 years, doing my, taking my responsibility as a householder, I kept on working on this uh, technique also. After 14 years, it so happened, my parents had left Burma and they had gone to India. And my mother became very sick, some kind of psychic trouble she had. And I knew if she practices Vipassana, she will come out of it. But in those days, the Burmese government would not give a passport to their nationals to go out. I feel very grateful to the Burmese government. They gave me a passport to go out to India, to teach Vipassana to my mother. And I am very grateful to the India government. They gave me visa to stay longer and to, to teach technique to my mother. The first course was given within a month of my arrival in India. Buddha said that you cannot pay back the debt of gratitude of your parents. So difficult. Whole life you just keep on serving your parents, serving your parents, do nothing. Still you cannot come out of the debt. The only way to come out of the debt of the parents is if the parents are not established in Sheila, help them to get established in Sheila. If they are established in Sheila, they are no Samadhi, help them to get established in Samadhi. If they are established in Sheila and Samadhi and no Panya, help them to get established in Panya. They have Sheila, Samadhi and Panya and they have not realized the ultimate goal of Nibbana, help them. I feel very fortunate that I could come out of the debt of gratitude of my parents. It was a small course. My two parents participated and 12 others participated, some known, some unknown. I had come to India just for three months to give this Dhamma to my parents, especially my mother. And then these 12 people, when they passed through the course, they started pressing hard, one more course, please one more course, my father will participate, my wife or my husband or my son or my daughter, ehi pasiku, this is the quality of Dhamma, come and see, come and see. So another course, and then another course, and then another course, don't know when that three month period passed away. And then month after month, year after year, and course after course, course after course, the Ganges of Dhamma started flowing in the country of its origin. When I was in Burma, many people there had a belief, and my teacher had a very strong belief. It seems when this wonderful Dhamma was sent to Burma by Ashoka, these two Arhans who were sent there, liberated souls, when they were sent there, Sona and Uttara, their teacher told them, that you are taking this jewel of Dhamma to a country which will maintain it in its pristine purity for the coming centuries. It will be forgotten everywhere, but this technique will remain in that country 
the name of the country in those days was Suvarna Bhumi, the land of gold, golden land. The golden land can keep this gem. After 2,500 years after passing away of Buddha, it will again come to India, get established there, and then spread around the world. My teacher used to say, now 2,500 years. And I don't know, maybe some accident. It was that year when I got my Dhamma. 2,500 years was ending in the next first year of the next, next Sasana, the, the revival of Dhamma. That was the time when I got Dhamma. He says, now the clock of Vipassana has struck. It has to spread. It has to spread. To be true, at that time, to me, it looked like a sectarian belief. Why 2,500? Why not 2,400? Why not 2,600? Why 2,500? What is the reason behind it? It didn't look very scientific, but uh, this was the belief. But when I came, I was really wonderstruck when I saw what is happening. When I came to India, I made a list of people who knew me or whom I knew. The list could not come to three figures. It was less than 100. Less than 100 in a country of millions. Less, less than 100 people know me or I know them. How in the courses people started coming, unknown people. And from every sect, from every community, unbelievable. And not only ordinary people, householders, heads of the community, heads of the sect, the monks, Buddhist monks, the Hindu sannyasis, the Jain monks and nuns, thousands, hundreds, thousands, the Christian monks, priests, nuns, hundreds, thousands in all total. How they are coming? How they are coming? A large number of people from different walks of life. How they are coming? What miracle? I don't know them. They don't know me. How people get attracted to Dhamma? And then slowly it became clearer and clearer. People come to the courses. And when I come in contact with them, many of them, when I see them, meet them, discuss with them, talk with them, something starts inside feeling that this person is known to me. Known to me from long time. This person is known to me. Known to, yes, known to me. So many lives. This person must have been meditating with me in Vipassana. Now the time has come. This person already has got seed of Vipassana, seed of Dhamma. And now the time has ripened for this person to grow. Grow in Dhamma and not only help oneself, but help others. There is a potentiality of this person not only to help oneself, but help others also. And I also see there are people who have come just to take the seed of Dhamma. They have done some very good karma of the past, some very wholesome deed they have done. And the ripening of that deed has helped them to get a seed of Dhamma. So whether you belong to the category where you got the seed of Dhamma, or whether you belong to the category where you already had a seed of Dhamma, and now you have come to develop in Dhamma, the wonderful jewel that you have got, make use of it properly. Don't just throw it away. I have seen one big defect in some students, and I keep on warning them. Many a time people come just to give a trial. Nothing wrong. Something new, one should first give a trial. But you keep on giving trial, only trial, and you never become serious to work. I see people coming to India, and they will go for this particular, uh, this particular experience or that particular experience, have grass experience, or have some chemical experience, and then they go to some gurus, this Baba experience, this guru experience, and similarly, they come to Goenka, a Goenka experience, a Goenka trip. We had all those trips, now a Goenka trip. What you gain? All right, have a Goenka trip. Have one, have two, have three. But ultimately, make a decision. If you find that some other technique is good for you, work on that seriously and, and get benefit from it. 
little bit here, little bit there, whole life you are wasting your life. It's a very serious path. It is not just a, a mental entertainment or intellectual entertainment or emotional entertainment. Like somebody is thirsty and wants water, started digging a well. You dig a well about 10 feet and then somebody says, no, 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 their water is better. And you start digging there 10 feet, 10 feet here, 10 feet here. Whole life you keep on digging 10 feet, 10 feet. You won't get water at all. So have one or two trials, doesn't matter, but then make a decision. I must go to the depth where I get my water. So make trials and then make a decision that if this path is suitable to you, you find that this looks very logical, pragmatic, scientific, is not uh, any kind of gurudam is involved and no any kind of dogma is involved, no belief is involved. This is just pure science of mind and matter and it has helped me, it gives good, good result. Then work on it, work on it. To me, I'm very sure it's a jewel, invaluable jewel. Nothing like this one can get in life. Fortunately, you got it now. Make use of it. Make use of it for your own good and make use of it for the good of so many others. Dhamma is a wonderful jewel. One can come out of all the miseries of the life, all the miseries of the life. May all of you who have participated in this 10-day course make use of this wonderful jewel and come out of your misery, all the miseries. Enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness, real happiness. Mangalang Bhav